Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, podcast? It's Corey from Best Served. This podcast is a clubhouse recording called Next Generation of Food Packaging Sustainability. Join Best Served in the James Beard Foundation as industry pros discuss next generation alternatives and solutions to the overall decrease in food losses and persistent plastic waste accumulation in packaging. Hope you guys enjoy. Fantastic. Welcome, everybody, to our room about the next generation of food packaging sustainability. This room is hosted by James Beard Foundation and Best Served Podcast, who is also recording this room to be aired this Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. The link will be posted on the Best Served Podcast IG, or you can listen to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. Uh, So the format of the room will be like this. We're going to have our moderators speak first. And towards the end, we're going to open the hand raising for the audience to come up and share or ask questions. Um, So audience, go ahead and be active listeners right now and write down your questions or talking points. So when we open the hand raising later, you could have your questions or thoughts more organized to share. And we just ask that every moderator to keep your share to, you know, Uh, three minutes max, uh, and you'll have a chance to share again whenever you want to speak. Just unmute your mic so we would know you have something to share. Um, But each time you speak, just keep it, you know, fairly two to three minutes at a time. Uh, And yes, everybody, please ping your friends into the room so they don't miss out on this important topic. Um, So um, just tap on the plus sign at the bottom to invite more people into the room. So this room is going to last about an hour and 15 minutes to an hour and a half at max. And as you listen to anyone who resonates with you, um, connect with each other, follow each other. Uh, And I'm reminding you again that the hand raising feature is closed for now while we are listening to the panelists, but we'll open um, the hand raising towards the end because we want to be inclusive and we want to hear from you audience. And just remember that when you are on stage, um, this room is being recorded. So make sure that you're okay with that. And now I'm going to yield the mic back to Jensen. Thank you. Thank you, Mimi. And, uh, and thanks Damon, who, uh, if you're, if you're here and looking up, uh, at us is right next to me here for uh, hosting us within the uh, sustainable packaging club, definitely go hit that greenhouse at the top of your screen and uh, follow everything that's happening there. This, this crew that's up on stage with us is active in there. Tons of uh, great resources beyond just uh, kind of the food scope that we'll be talking about today. So any and all areas of sustainable packaging, you can find lots of good stuff there. So yeah, I want to start this room and just welcome everyone. Next generation of food packaging sustainability. I like to always start just a little quote, something that's going to set the tone, set the table for us as we move through this conversation. William James says, act as if what you are doing makes a difference. It does. 
And I think that's something that we really need to take to heart. My main goal here is how can kind of the food world, the restaurant world specifically, uh, be able to be better stewards for their communities, for the footprint that they create, uh, and utilizing food packaging as, as a way to amplify their values and their business and their brand. So that's what we're really going to focus on today because, you know, one of the big numbers that always gets me is you know, 80 million tons of packaging waste annual in the United States. And uh, the food world has a, a huge opportunity and responsibility to be able to make a difference in that arena. The audience that we're really focused on for this, it's going to be a lot of value for anybody who's kind of in the restaurant space, is doing pop-ups, events, catering, virtual kitchens. We're going to be talking about all those those needs that uh, that you all have, which are pretty vast. So to kind of give you an idea of the areas of discussion and the format, we're going to have four different sections that we're talking about, 10 minutes each. We're going to have one of our panelists kind of present, spend maybe four or five minutes really setting the tone and helping us understand uh, this kind of micro topic. And then we'll have a couple of the panels be able to jump in, add a little more context, add a little bit more insight, try and stay on that 10 minutes per so we can get through these four sections and make sure we have plenty of time for uh, hand raising. As Mimi mentioned, we're going to be talking about materials, right? This is unbelievably overwhelming when you're looking at the myriad of choices and everything from the the acronyms we don't understand what's pfa what's bpa it's it's challenging to understand what what these materials are what these chemicals are should i be using corn or bamboo or quinoa as as the material that i'm using for my product so we're going to talk about that a little bit and heather's going to really lead the way there we're going to talk about style and function what type of needs do i have within my business is it to go packaging is it cpg is it event catering how am i navigating that what's the style that speaks to to my brand and is going to be kind of at the right style price point so we're going to dig into that a little bit and michael is going to help us there we're going to talk about selection and supply chain understanding great i think i understand the materials i think i understand what's going to fit my brand the best now what do i need to do and understand as far as what i'm ordering how i'm ordering it is it going to have the availability and consistency that I need? And Corey's going to lead the way there, which is great. Uh, and then finally, we're going to talk brand and marketing. A lot of opportunity to utilize brand and marketing. Packaging is going to be an extension of your brand. There's going to be a lot of consumer decisions being made based on the packaging that you're using. How are you using that platform to be able to express who you are, what you're all about, and why you do what you do? And Damon will lead us there. All right. Hopefully everyone's kind of understands the modality of what's happening uh, over the next hour. I'm going to have Mimi go ahead and introduce speakers. Then our, our partners, the James Beard, uh, Lauren Kennedy is here. Going to talk a little bit about kind of just the, the foundations, kind of thoughts and views on sustainability as a whole. And definitely check out the full four-part series we've been doing over this last month. This is installment number three. You can go to Best Served Podcast anywhere. You, you track that down. You can see the four-part series. We've talked about kind of inspiring culinary storytellers, uplifting their communities. We've talked about the labor shortage, really unpacking that and understanding how to cultivate workplaces worth working. And then next week, we'll be talking with some indigenous uh, culinary voices about the, uh, the native expression of American cultural food. And uh, that's the four-part series, so definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, I think that's <laughs> I think that's all the babbling I have. Uh, Mimi, you want to go ahead and uh, introduce us to our uh, to our speakers? 
Absolutely. Thank you, Chef Jensen. I'd like to um, go ahead and, and introduce Corey first. Uh, and I saved, um, you know, introducing him and his club until I get a chance to talk about Corey because I want to thank him for hosting this room under his club, Sustainable Packaging. Um, he also has um, his own podcast with the same name. Uh, where they discuss sustainable packaging options and new products and how we can each make a difference in our business and personal lives to help improve packaging sustainability. Corey is also creator of the Clubhouse uh, Club, like I said, and we want to thank him for um, giving us your platform for this important discussion. Thank you so much. Next, um, we would like to introduce Damon Frank Janukaro, I hope I pronounced your last name correctly. Um, Damon is the founder and CCO of Janukaro Design and Creative Agency with offices in China, the Netherlands, and Oklahoma. He calls his team Eco Brand Warriors with over three decades of experience in design, branding, marketing, and sustainability. They're not your average awarded green creative brand agency. Uh, because they always think green and implement social responsibility with their experience sustainability team. Um, next, it's my pleasure to introduce someone who is called a super joy spreader. Heather is an executive director of um, Sustainable Citizen. She's co-founder of Sustainable Packaging Solution. Uh, and she just launched International Sustainable Packaging. She's also the CEO of Native Pack, which is a packaging company that has developed PFA-free compostable packaging created from hemp and other alternative fiber combo. And I'm excited to know more about this because hemp it seems to be the buzzword for like sustainable um, material nowadays and she's currently developing a facility in Oklahoma on Native American ground. Uh, Native PAC is you know in you know essence creating jobs for indigenous indigenous people while taking care of our planet. S sounds so awesome and just in line with uh, not only our topic of today but also next week uh, when we discuss about how indigenous agri-food systems can solve many global issues. So that's next week's topic. But I'm yielding the mic now to Jensen to begin our program about sustainable food packaging. I mean, we got one more, actually. Let's uh, introduce Michael here. I can go ahead and jump in and do that. Michael Dwork oh, is uh, CEO of Verterra Dinnerware. No, no worries. I got it. I'm on it. Uh, they design eco-friendly packaging for the food service industry and uh, gotten to use their, their products over the year. Uh, always made, uh, made our food, made us look cool at, uh, at a lot of the wine festivals and things like that. So really great, actually, first time interacting with Michael, uh, but having utilized Verterra. Uh, over the years so love what they're all about and thank you to all of you for being here and uh, I want to go ahead and uh, Lauren Kennedy please have you jump in uh, represent the James Beard Foundation super honored again to be able to collaborate with you all on this four-part series looking at a lot of different aspects and and bringing more voices to the culinary narrative uh, but please introduce yourself and uh, yeah kind of again help me set the tone a little bit further what's the James Beard Foundation's kind of position and 
and thinking around sustainability. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much, Mimi Jensen, the Best Serve crew, and our amazing panel we have here, panelists, for taking the time to discuss what's happening now in the industry. Um, my name is Lauren Kennedy. I am the manager of sponsor relations here at the foundation. Um, and when it comes to sustainability here at the foundation, at its simplest, it's all about meeting the, the needs of the present without the depletion of resources over time, which kind of is a common thing when it comes to sustainability and a big concern. But however, defining sustainability, it, it must go beyond looking at the natural resource context, but also to include social and economic resources, as well as considering equitable access for the various actors within the food system in itself. Um, so when it comes to environmental, social, and economic sustainability, our exact definitions, we kind of, it's like this year in itself, these past two years, it'll need to evolve as the world changes and new information becomes available. So as we move into the future, um, the James Beard Foundation hopes that keeping all that in mind can help provide guidance to those in the culinary, hospitality, media, and broader food industry to make make the most improvements as a whole. And I think we've seen that in the past two years, having to react, adjust, and take in new information and figure out how to go from there. And that's kind of what we've been aiming to do. Appreciate that. And that is no small undertaking, as you mentioned, <laughs> the, uh, the, the depth and scope and the target is moving all the time on this. So I think Completely. The, the commitment to it, I think, is key, something that we've all talked about and uh, having that goal in mind of, of being able to be better stewards for the environment, for our communities, for our teams, for our businesses, I think is important. And we're seeing that fundamental shift uh, happen mm -hmm. as we're speaking. And now we need the nuts and bolts. We need to figure out how to actually bring these to fruition. We talked to so many operators, so many managers, so many startups who really truly want to be a part of change, to be better than we've been in the past as an industry, and they have no idea where the hell to start. And so we wanna really, this is hours and hours and hours to unpack all this. So I'm so grateful for the speakers that you're gonna hear from here to be able to give us just these first steps for us to truly just understand how to take those first steps towards a better future. So we're gonna dig into that again. We're gonna talk materials to start, Heather, Jane, Please go ahead, give us four or five minutes, set the tone, and then I will have uh, a couple other speakers jump in, uh, kind of popcorn style. But uh, talk to us. Talk to us about materials, Heather. Yes. First off, I want to say I am like so thrilled to be on here today. So I want to give a big shout out to all of the speakers and, and James Beard. And I mean, Chef Jensen, I had a moment to talk with you. It was amazing. And I'm just, I'm very grateful to be here today. So when we're talking, you know, when, when I think about um, materials, I think about like, what is the return on planet and what is the return on people, right? And we're, we're very heavily focused, um, especially in this room right now, about talking about food packaging. And um, as, you know, restaurateurs or events, um, you know, curators, one of the discussions around is like when we are giving people um, you know, to go food containers or we're giving somebody a plate, right, um, at an event that they're passing around, one of the big components to that is like, what is the chemicals that are actually in these packages, right? What are the, what are the chemicals that are in these plates? And you had mentioned earlier, Chef Jensen, um, when you were talking initially about BPA and uh, PFA chemicals. And I think that it's something that we don't as consumers, I mean, I can tell you before I got into this industry, I would, you know, get a plate. 
bad. I would get a plate from a restaurant and um, I would eat off of it, not thinking anything. Now I would see styrofoam and I'm like, that's crazy. How can styrofoam even be legal? Um, which was wild to me. But these were all, all of these um, materials were used creating chemicals. Now, PFA chemicals are known as forever chemicals, right? I mean, they this has been linked to cancer and in a majority of packaging and even some of the packaging that looks earth friendly, um, they contain these chemicals. They say that actual PFA chemicals are running through our bloodstream um, so, so thoroughly that this is what is causing this upstream of uh, diseases that we're seeing today, um, as well as BPA. So when we get these packages, when we get this packaging in and we are using it as consumers, we're not realizing that the minute that we put food on there, hot food that like amazing chefs are, are creating, that it is absorbing all of those chemicals. <laughs> so when we're looking to source um, our packaging, we have to really look at what is inside of the packaging that we're using. Um, so I, I wanted to touch briefly on that because I know, I mean, I don't even know how, we're, how, how I can cram in the amount of information in four minutes, but I am just trying to give you the, the rough draft of this. So um, as, as event curators and restaurateurs and chefs, we really have got to look at the materials that are in this. So BPA and PFAs um, are both huge, huge red flags when we're looking at this. Now, combining alongside of that, we have to look at what are where are the materials being sourced, right? I'm a big advocate of hemp, and, and Chef, you had mentioned this earlier um, about hemp being a big keyword. It is a huge keyword. You know why? Because hemp can be regeneratively farmed. Um, it uses less amount of water, and it produces a very, very high quality of, uh, of a product, and it has very, very long fibers, right, which makes a very, very durable package. And when you don't combine PFA chemicals in them and you use natural <laughs> organic compounds, you now have a package that can com uh, decompose, right? Becomes fully compostable, either industrial composting or even in your backyard. Um, and you're not giving chemicals to people. So hemp is a big keyword because it is so, so, so um, vast in the uses that we can have. And it's so environment, right? Because when we talk about A to Z, we have to look, how is that being regeneratively farmed, right? I mean, I mean, how is it being farmed? Is it being regeneratively farmed? Um, because that is also a big piece of the sustainability mix. Um, and so chef, please, I mean, I, I would just recommend to anybody, it is absolutely imperative that we start using fibers like this. Another one that is super, um, that, that I have found that has been amazing is also wheat. So, um, wheat is a great, and, and Damon is actually knows a lot about, um, the, the inside of the packaging as well. We have been super, super focused in this area. Um, but hemp and wheat are two very, very highly used, um, usable products and people are now just starting to be able to use them. So I myself have been very focused um, on this aspect of keeping chemicals out, PFAs out of packaging and really starting to source that. But we also need to get the entrepreneurs right now that are going out there to build businesses around this, right? Um, which is very, very important. And so um, I don't even have my, my timer on right now. So Chef Jensen, if I start running over, Please I got you. Let's tip. do this real quick because uh, I'm loving everything you're saying and the energy. Wheat is something I've heard, but now I'm going to make sure and look into it. Uh, BPA, PFA, are there other chemicals that you want to make sure that we're aware of? And is it required that these chemicals are specifically listed anywhere in the packaging? If I'm looking at, at a supplier's you know, list of all the packaging, do I need to ask three and seven more questions or is that information readily available to me? I mean, listen, in some cases it's readily available, but there are chem, I mean, I, I would, I would look at it this way, like polystyrene, right? Polystyrene is one of the chemicals that is used, um, 
in uh, styrofoam. So you've got to be very specific and there is a list of chemicals, but the main ones um, are like the polystrines, the polystrines, the BPAs and the PFAs. They should be on there, but a lot of times they're not putting that on there, right? You're like picking up a package in the store and even for um, consumers, when you walk into a Costco, a lot of times you, it's very hard to read the red tape. So if it does not look like it's national or organic compound, I would look it up. You know, what's so great about our phones nowadays is that you can do a quick Google search. I mean, literally on here and you can say, oh my gosh, wow, I've never even heard of this chemicals. There's so many that get compounded into these um, packagings right now that it, it's, it's, there's an overwhelming, but I would say the key ones that I have seen for sure is definitely BPA, which has been used in plastics and resins since, I mean, the 1950s. Um, and then the PFA chemicals, which is like, a, is several different chemicals in ones, right? And I probably can't even say these freaking words right, right now, but I'm going to give it a shot. So part of the PFA actually um, are Pluferloc, oh my God, this is going to be the hardest thing for me to say right now. Every time I look at this, um, perfluorocly, per, oh, I can't even say this right now. Here's what per, we'll do. And this is a good moment to let everyone know yeah. the recording of this podcast. We always make sure and drop lots of links and resources because again, it is a lot to navigate. So we will save you from having to pronounce those and we will make sure and, uh, and get some resources to be able to link back so that you understand what these chemicals are because I've definitely read some articles and I've seen lots of words that I could not pronounce. So I'm with you 100% yeah. there for sure. Uh, Damon, Michael, see both of you uh, unmuting. I don't know if one, Damon, if you want to jump in. Specifically, hi, Michael, hi we'll come everyone. To you next. Hi, everyone. This is a very early morning for me in China. Um, just quickly to dovetail. Hi, Heather. Love you madly. Um, NPR.org, you can actually look up some of the, um, uh, some of the terminology that Heather's been using. And before I, I introduce myself and, and do my skit, cause I don't, cause I, we need to run in order. So I'll wait for my time, Jensen, for you to bring me up, but just quickly, just to dovetail of what Heather's saying, um, it's not actually legally required in most countries and still in the EU to list these products on packaging. Um, which is quite alarming because they are all about you listing how much sugar and how many carbs you've got in a product, but you don't have to list the chemicals of your packaging and what your packaging is comp uh, composed of, which I think is rather alarming, um, considering how much of the actual chemicals are released when heat is introduced to the packaging. So like your fast food takeouts, but there is hope on the horizon here in China. McDonald's and KFC have gone almost completely PLA. You will order your takeout. But I would just like to give one thought to everybody to think about now. And then we can just touch on it when you close the room. And it was a very interesting podcast I was in this week. And I, was at, I did a, a talk on design and sustainability um, because all of this at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, starts off with design. Um, the design of the packaging is where the change can happen and where you can implement change. And I said, I was asked a question about the, the paper straw, the plastic straw, the paper straw, like the chicken, and the, the chicken and the egg, which one came first or which one should go out and which one should be eliminated. And I said both. But in places where it can't be, just keep your damn original plastic straw 
and you can reuse it. It, can, it takes 100 years for a straw to biodegrade. If it takes that long to biodegrade, you can use it for 100 years. So just keep your one straw and just say no to the next. It's super easy. These small little act, acts of, of being logical and understanding that like just in the straw industry, you can accept one straw and then keep it. And if someone offers you another, say, please don't add the straws. And in China, we've got that function now when we order. I mean, China's got the largest delivery system of food on the planet. It's called Meituan. You can order food at any time of the day, 24 hours a day. It gets delivered to your house within a few minutes of its order. And you can now opt out from your extras and they call them extras which is straws knives and forks and you can opt out of having that delivered with your food so yeah, i appreciate I just that damon to... i've seen that actually in uh in the states already it's it's slow moving but you now you have to opt in to get cutlery and things like that so i think that's making a ton of sense so damon thank you for that michael did want to give you just uh just a minute before we move on to this next section which will be your section so we'll segue right oh. into you but uh materials anything else we need yeah. to be aware of any other places we can be looking for the resources as we're mind-meltingly trying to navigate the materials that we should or should not be looking at for our packaging? Um, yeah, so I just want to touch on that quickly. So, so the BPAs or the bifenol A's, those, those sort of went out a few years ago when there was a little bit of a, a, a media hype around it, but then they were replaced by BPS's which is a less bad but similar chemical that doesn't. It really just softens plastic. It's what gives plastic that, you know, like when you push a cup with your fingers and it has that flex, that's one of the chemicals that does it. They're obviously more expensive ones, but BPA and BPS are less expensive, which is why manufacturers like to use those um, for cost-saving measures. But then the PFOAs, which are perfluorooctanoic acids and PFOSs, those actually, if, if a product in the U.S. is certified by BPI, the Biodegradable Products Institute, um, which also works with the National Composting Council, they will, they will insist, uh, as of, I believe, two or three years ago, on a fluorine test, and the, the, the F in the PFOA and PFOS is fluorine. So if a product is certified by BPI as compostable for industrial, uh, in, in industrial composting, um, that's a little bit of a, a signal that that product will not have the PFOAs or PFOSs. Um, it's not a perfect, it's not a perfect indicator, but it's, it's generally a very, very good one. Appreciate that. We'll make sure, uh, Corey, Corey on our team is here, uh, recording and he has the, the big job of capturing every single resource that we mentioned. So, uh, we'll make sure and get BPI in there so that people can kind of navigate that. All right, Michael, want to come back to you and be able to talk about style, function. I now know, hopefully, some of the materials to use, what not to use. Hopefully that focuses my, my options a little bit, and we will talk about selection with Corey a little bit more. But wanted to think about what it looks like now. How do I understand like what's gonna be best for my brand? What do I need to be thinking about from a style, from a function, from a price point standpoint? What do you got for yeah. us? Yeah, so, uh... You know, 15 years ago, Verterra started really to marry the the wonders of, of environmental concerns with uh, with style. And most of that was because what we saw at that time was the only people who were going to 
um, sort of forward the environmental agenda, we're the ones that we're going to pay a higher price point because our product 15 years ago was was very expensive and and, uh, and over the years has come down. And as as Damon hit exactly, you know, form form follows function. So whenever we're looking at at materials, you know, anything from changing from uh, the traditional round plate to go to a square plate because a square plate would take up 27% less space, eliminating the lip on a plate, which we saw as it, you know, not, not necessary, uh, which reduced a plate size by another 20%. Little things like that, <clears throat> little, little things like that would reduce a plate, um, you know, in size by about 45%, which was really significant. Because when we look at the products, it's not just the material, but it's also the design of the product because shipping is the largest impact that anything has. You know, for, for our products, most of them are made in India, some are made in China and Indonesia, but, but the, the environmental impact of, of moving the, the raw materials to the, the actual production facility, um, evaluating how, how much space they're gonna take up, what the cubic foot is of a, of a plate or a, or a case, um, and what the shipping impact is, all really go into it. And the same is true for, for every manufacturer. Um, you know, now that container prices have shot through the roof, everybody's become a lot more sensitive to it. But it's one of those things that we thought from the beginning. And, you know, as, as somebody reminded me when we started the company, you know, everyone eats with their eyes first, their nose second and the mouth last. And the look, the feel, the perception of the product is really important. And it's really been great to see a lot more high design products come into the market that that are focused on sustainability um, and, and a lot of, um, you know, products at all different price points come in, uh, focus on sustainability. The one thing that I always try to remind people is their packaging, their packaging is really critical because, you know, it, it should be consistent with their brand and the brand image that they want. You know, uh, you could have a burger from McDonald's, you could have a burger from a nice bistro. Um, you know, McDonald's can get away with a paper wrapper, that same bistro cannot, and, and they may want to look at things that are going to enhance their brand. You know, people always pay more for design um, that enhance an experience. And a lot of what we do is try to help curate the experience. And, you know, Chef, as, as you pointed out, uh, our, our products get used at a lot of, a lot of food and wine festivals and, and with a lot of great chefs. And part of that is because, you know, Vertero was probably one of the first disposable companies that really focused on trying to be comparable more to a, a China uh, or porcelain plate rather than a disposable. You know, we didn't really want to, we didn't really want to take inspiration from, um, from products that were, that were in the, in the one-time use world. We wanted to give people something that they could sort of be excited about using. And, and it was really a, a big differentiator. Um, a lot of the times, in packaging and packaging design, the thing that I think a lot of people miss is if you're using if you're using a product where you feel like you're quote unquote getting away with something, uh, you're probably using the wrong product. You know, and and what we've what we've always found is that if you like we have we have a product. It's our it's our four by ten palm plate, and we were challenged. Uh, by a couple of great chefs because they were doing lobster roll concepts. They were doing these higher end sausage concepts in stadiums. And they said, we're, we're putting out this great food and it always just sort of falls on its side. And our food loss is massive because by the time we hand it to the guest, 
it just it just doesn't look right. So we either have to adjust it, or if it slips too much, we have to throw it away. And you know, it was one of those first moments where I saw that packaging could really make a huge impact in food waste and food loss and a lot of things. And obviously, that's a slightly different topic, but along the lines of sustainability, because if you're throwing away food because it doesn't portion right or doesn't look right, um, it's it's really a significant loss for operators. And what we wound up doing is just adjusting the shape of the plate as opposed to going with a normal industry standard of a flat bottom, short side. What we did is we did a um, a beveled side so it had an angle so when your lobster roll or your sausage would sit sit in it, um, it couldn't move, it couldn't flip. And what we did is we reduced their food losses by about 12, 13% to almost zero, um, which was a massive, massive saving for the operators. and and really allowed them to be much more successful as well. It gave a little bit more of a wow factor because it, it held the food open. So when they handed it to the guest every single time, it was perfectly consistent and, and it enhanced user happiness, which is you know, another really big concern for people. A lot of the times when you're using, when you're using disposables, when you're using to go packaging, there's this, there's this misperception that it's, it's less than. Um, and, and it really doesn't have to be, it's a function of, it's really a function of what operators are willing to accept and what they're willing to use and demand. You know, the other, the other big part of using disposables, um, and we're, we're right now building out a case with a, with a stadium, they had previously been using China and what they were realizing is through a lot of their labor issues right now, um, they decided to use us, uh, exclusively for a very large program. And what we started finding was not only were they saving or they were able to use less than half the labor that they previously had and, and they're not able to get right now, but they started realizing that, you know, a six inch rack of B&B plates weighed 24 pounds and a case of 300 Verterra plates or, you know, if it was a sugarcane plate, it would be the same sort of thing, would be about 17 pounds. They were able to have fewer people they were able to use fewer people to do more about a 12 time ratio as well. Their savings in water chemicals um, and a host of other things were actually saving them money. They were realizing that the overall savings uh, was really significant. And then on the back end, their municipality was, was going to give them enhanced benefits because when they were using a compostable disposable, um, they were able to put it in a single bin with their food waste versus their recyclables, which they had to pay for, and their general waste that they had to pay for. So it's, you know, there are ways that that sort of doing the right thing, using eco-friendly materials, and, um, you know, it, it's, it's, actually, it, it's actually turning into a cost savings for them. And it's not something that they realized or even we realized at the beginning, um, but it's something that we're sort of learning along the way. Ooh, we got to have a whole nother conversation, yep. Michael, about food oh, yep. waste for sure. Three yep. big takeaways that I got that I think operators can really take away from what you just said. Number one is that that plate coverage, not having the lip, looking at the size of the plate and the amount of plate coverage they get from food. I definitely think that's a big a big bonus point because we've been so trained to the 10 inch, 12 inch plate and a quarter of that is just rim. So I think that's a unique takeaway. Mm-hmm. Assign value on top of cost for whatever you're looking. So the paper wrapper versus something that really uh, expresses your brand, I think is important. I want to talk about that when we get to Damon a little bit more as well. So I think assign value, not just the cost, because you can charge more for a better experience, a better story. Mm-hmm. And and 
number three for you then is, is how do you then look at the function of that to be able to amplify the product? So not just the plate, the box, but what is the function, the interaction that the guest is going to have with that food? So, Michael, I appreciate that. Uh, I do want to go quick. Corey Connors, since we haven't heard from you yet, I do want to give you an opportunity. Please jump in. Give us a little context to kind of that style, form, function element before we move on to the next topic. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this opportunity to be a part of this great group. I did want to give a shout out to my friends, Heather and Damon. This is, this is their club, Sustainable Packaging. Uh, Mimi mentioned it was mine. Mine's called Packaging Sustain- Sustainably. So that's very similar. <laughs> but I want to make sure to we'll, give we'll them. We're all family. Yours. We're all family. We're all family. Yes, ma'am. We're all in this together. We're all doing the right things. Uh, but uh, you guys are amazing people. Uh, I'm Corey Connors. I'm a sustainable packaging consultant for Landsberg Aurora. I have been for 19 years. Also the host and founder of uh, Sustainable Packaging with Corey Connors, a podcast um, that's really taken off. Um, this topic has become incredibly important. Uh, it, it's it's in the face of everyone uh, as we sit in our homes for COVID and or SAT, I hope, um, and really make a, 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 an attempt to um, change the way we buy things. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that this... Um, this turns into a positive for the environment in the long run. I think it's possible we can do it if we work to, together and uh, look at uh, reusable packaging and things like that. But I, I do want to talk about, um, did you want me to cover the topic right now? Yeah, let's, the, let's swing into the next topic, which was going to be okay. yours anyway. One of the things that I've seen, especially from like the social side of what you do that I kind of loved and wanted you to help us with selection and then a little bit with supply chain, because I know that's coming up a lot operators and something I know you have uh, some insights on but you just kind of you know we're like getting in front doing an Instagram video of like hey here's a, a piece of packaging that I like and you kind of like showed it to us because sometimes we're just looking at these things in a book have no right. idea what it's going to be like when we touch it what are the actual dimensions yeah I can read the dimensions there but I don't have the context to understand what that is till I hold it in my hand and especially as there's so many different right like Michael was talking about different forms and it's overwhelming and I just go to the thing that I used to use which is clearly not good enough so selection I know the materials a little bit now I know some about form and function what can we do about selection and then guide us a little bit understanding the uh, the shortcomings right now of supply chain I picked this great topic I did all the work and now I can't get it so yeah give us about five minutes of kind of digging into selection and anything that feeds into supply chain yeah, thank you so much. And and I think the packaging that you're talking about is FlexiHex, which is 100% recyclable uh, paper wine packaging, wine bottle or spirits. You could use it for spirits or even tech products. And it's something that just uh, was developed out of uh, Europe recently uh, by my friend Sam uh, Bowie and his brother. And they've started this company from nothing. And uh, Basically, they were surfers and they got a surfboard that was wrapped in three layers of plastic bubble wrap. And it really bothered them because um, uh, like most surfers, they're very environmentally conscious. So they set out to make a new product that would be environmentally friendly. And their product is taking off like gangbusters. I posted a couple of videos on, on TikTok and on Instagram and LinkedIn and got hundreds of thousands of views because people were excited that something made out of paper could protect their high-end wine or spirits. Uh, 
it's it's an it's it's not normal uh so often people have to use styrofoam which like heather mentioned is uh, awful for the environment and not the first choice of course and there are other um alternative foams and things like that um but we really like this paper design because it works. I dropped it from 11 feet in the air and it onto concrete and it survived. And uh, that's, to me, that's a, a, a good performance. <laughs> Definitely exceeds the ISTA 3A standard of 36 inches. But um, like you mentioned, it's critical to choose the right kind of packaging. It's, it's critical to choose the kind of packaging that's available. Uh, there's no point in, in ordering packaging that's going to sit on the water for four months, you know, if in this environment. Now, if you have a, a good supply chain uh, that, that works, yes, you can import. And uh, if, you, if you understand the system and you have uh, usually a larger company. But um, these days we need to focus on domestic or local, if possible, in my opinion, for now. Uh, with this major spike in uh, packaging need, I mean, we're up 30% in the last year. Um, absolutely astonishing numbers, more than we've ever seen. And what they're finding out now is these numbers aren't going to dip back down. This is the new normal. So what ha what's happening is supply has to catch up. Um, but there's nothing sustainable about going out of business. So you got to find out how to purchase locally and make sure you have a consistent supply chain. The wine packaging is a, is a key one. All of the molded pulp facilities in the US uh, are at capacity. So there's a massive demand, truckloads and truckloads behind um, that I think uh, will catch up eventually. And hopefully uh, things like this FlexiHex and uh, mycelium mushroom packaging and other alternatives that are coming up uh, in the world will be able to kind of bridge that gap of um, capacity, which is exciting. But work with your suppliers. Uh, make sure that your supplier has an extra stock level for you, and um, then then you won't run out. And that's how it works. You need to have a good supplier that you trust. Uh, what we're seeing is a lot of companies that are smaller often um, are just getting cut out, and that's not good. They'll go from four-week or two-week lead times to 14 to 18-week lead times in a matter of a, a day or two. And that's it's unacceptable, and it's uh, really sad to see. But what we're trying to do is make sure we service all of our customers in the same way. And treat them Corey, all real quick uh, stock yeah. levels you said yes. that that's something I, I theoretically know but in practice just give us the the 30 second like what do i need to do i want to negotiate or talk about or or commit to stock levels what, what negotiating power do i have what questions do i need to ask give me just the real quick for somebody who's like i need to do that yeah great point so um i think it's a, all about negotiation at the beginning of whatever project you're working on. Oftentimes packaging will be an afterthought. And in my opinion, it should be one of the first things you're thinking about and negotiating with suppliers and bringing in inventory because most suppliers will hold inventory for you for several months um, and just have it ready, you know, and uh, that way, right when your products are ready, you can, you can order in the packaging and ship it out and then get on a reorder point system with your supplier that is a contract basis where they'll hold pricing, uh, you know, assuming 
um, usually tied to something like a white sheet or a yellow sheet, a yellow paper, um, you know, market index. So um, if the market doesn't go up, your costs stay the same. Um, but that's the kind of way to really make sure your cash flow is solid. And that will there be know, an expectation of an outlay or a commitment or contract based on like being able to have that skew warehoused in some way? Yes, oh, of course, uh, for the most part, unless it's stock packaging. And I think um, Heather's working on some really cool stuff with her uh, molded hemp uh, products. I think I hope she'll talk about that later. But, uh, you know, developing stock packaging that you're not liable for, but you're asking your, your supplier to make sure you have enough stock. Oftentimes that'll work, you know, but it depends on what you're shipping and how you're shipping it, you know, is it direct to consumer? Is it, um, you know, in bulk to a store? Um, is it a, um, it, it all depends. There are so many factors. I wish I could talk, uh, you know, longer. Oh, but... Corey, I hear you. This was, this was super <laughs> valuable. Again, yes, we're sir. setting the tone and expectation. We all have a lot more conversations to have. It's just the first conversation hasn't happened with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of restaurants that and companies that we get to interact with. So one of the things that I would recommend, just throw this in, I want to come to Heather, I want to come to Mimi then, reset the room quick, and then we're going to talk brand and marketing with Damon, and then, yes, we will do some hand-raising because I want to see what uh, what's in front of each of you in the audience. Uh, but one of the things that I highly suggest, and I've seen this working, is a little bit of co-op buying. Like, wh who, are the, who are the 12 other people doing, you know, a burger or a taco or pho in your neighborhood, in your community, that you can think about collaboration over competition and be able to come together and say, hey, maybe we can do some packaging purchasing together. So think about that. There, there's something there, and we've seen little inklings of that working. But want to come to Heather before we move on to the next topic real quick. Uh, Heather, when you're thinking about uh, selection, uh, what do we need to be thinking about? You know, I, I really wanted to add uh, on, on Corey too. Well, selection obviously is extremely important, but we've really got to support the entrepreneurs like in America right now that are creating um, these different packaging. You know, the pulp industry is definitely, um, we are over tapped crazy out here in the United States. Um, and so, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Asia has been the world's manufacturer and there's a lot of great products out there. And I'm Damon and I, I mean, we, we've got a company um, in Hong Kong that focuses on sustainable packaging. But I will tell you that um, we need more people to support um, building out of these facilities because they're not cheap, chef. Like they, we're talking $50 million to set up these pulping facilities to be able to make um, the products that are available so that we can have local sourcing. And it's so, so important um, as a collective group of individuals that we all really, I mean, the price could be a little bit more, but I mean, is it worth it to pay a little bit more to have your product on the ground immediately and to be able to make sure that you're going to be able to get it to your customers? I mean, there, there's a, a huge value to be added for that. So I just wanted to throw that out there. So um, Corey, thank you for, for saying that. And, and sorry, chef, I know we have so much, I can't wait to hear from Damon. So um, this is Heather so much to talk speaking. about today. Yes. This is, this is great. <laughs> now we're going to have to write some white papers on this. And this is what Clubhouse is all about. It'll take a moment. If you're listening to this on the recording of the podcast, get your ass over to Clubhouse right now and join in on these conversations. So many of us have met through these types of channels and now are on stage, quote unquote, together to be able to actually have the conversations to learn. Now I've learned a couple more a couple more approaches, a couple more products, a couple more materials, a couple more chemicals that can now help me help more people when they look to our content to help educate them, to get the resources, practical first steps 
for operators to actually take, not taking the elephant down all bites at a time, but one bite at a time is where we need to really start. So I uh, want to kind of dig into that. Before that, Mimi, uh, please, uh, wanted to have you, we're kind of about uh, 45 minutes in, reset the room, and uh, uh, anything to add to this. This has been an amazing conversation, and appreciate you for uh, the leadership you always show in getting these things pulled together. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I'm so happy to see that Starbucks and other coffee companies have stopped using plastic straws and instead they replace them with um, sippy lids now. Brilliant. Uh, and the pandemic I've seen has resulted in a lot of people don't go out as much anymore and they do a lot of takeouts. I've been thinking about producing some takeout meals myself. I do Vietnamese food and my concern is like what Michael said. Uh, I'm so afraid that once my food leaves my kitchen, that when my customers reheat, uh, that the integrity of my food would suffer. So I would like to know how do I package my food that's sustain sustainable, affordable, and reheatable without compromising on the quality of my food, right? Uh, and I, w I would love to hear more about hemp. Uh, because I heard it's like the revolutionary sustainable material for food packaging. So are these hemp products available now or are they in the works? And how are their price point compared to other packaging products? You got Heather all fired up. Let's hold on to that for a minute. Let's get Q&A kind of all at the end so we can make sure and get Damon in. But you want to go ahead and reset the room. And, and I think the question you just asked is the first question on every single operator's mind is like, I don't trust that my food's going to be as good. And then that's not the third party delivery app or the packaging company that's getting blamed. It's me for sure. But uh, yeah, let's, let's have that be the first question as we kind of open up. Is that right, Mimi? All right. Yeah, perfect. So uh, let me just quickly reset the room. Uh, for those of you who just came in, welcome to the, this room about the next generation of food packaging, which is sustainability. And this room is hosted by James Beard Foundation and Best Served Podcast. Um, who is also recording this room to be aired this Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, and the link will be posted on uh, the Best of Podcast Instagram, or you can listen to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. So I want to make a correction that I did a, a, a boo-boo before. Um, I thank Corey, but Corey's club has a similar name, Packaging Sustainably, but this club is hosted under Sustainable Packaging, uh, which is created by Damon and Heather. So thank you so much for hosting this room. Um, and everybody, if you could just hit the greenhouse above to follow the club, because they are leading the sustainable conversations on Clubhouse. Um, Damon, I was on the phone with you and I was just in awe of all the things that you share, all the things that you're doing, and I could listen to you for hours. So I'm, I'm just really honored to be in the room with you and everybody here. Uh, please click on the plus sign to invite more people into the room and uh, we're gonna open the hand raising later. But I'm Chef Mimi and I'm done speaking. Thank you, Mimi. All right, Damon, yes, ours, and you have five minutes. Go. Oh. Talk to us about brand oh. marketing again. This is conversation <laughs> one of many, many, many. Brand and marketing. How can we utilize <laughs> packaging to be able to 
to elevate our brains, to be able to tell better stories through that medium, to be able to have the stories mean more dollars, that we're not commoditizing our food products and just selling a burger. We're we're telling the whole story, brand, marketing. Talk to us. Well, first of all, um, let me start off with what Corey was saying um, and what that discussion about supply chain. Um, I just want to just make one comment and then I will go into my subject and what I'm here to speak about. But but, um, if we look at the big giants like Coca-Cola and that, just so that everyone knows, um, these big food companies buy their stock two to three, sometimes four years in advance. So we've got to give them some time to move over their purchasing of materials. Um, I was in one of the biggest um, Coca-Cola plants in the world, and I asked their buyer, so why aren't you moving over to PLA plastic and more sustainable packaging? And he took me into one warehouse that was bigger than a football stadium. And they've got plastic, raw plastic packed up in pellet form and also in sheet form that they buy on stock lots, sometimes at auction, sometimes from factories that are closing down. So we just need to give them a little bit of breathing space because they buy in such huge amounts to keep up with consumer demand. So that's where consumer demand clashes with the brands that are trying to make a difference because they don't have enough time to bounce back. So I just wanted to make that statement. Secondly, just don't order a straw. If you've got one, reuse your plastic straw over and over again for now if you don't have an alternative, because we must remember something. There are a lot of developing countries like Africa. There's actually groundbreaking stuff happening in Africa when it comes to reusing the junk we already have around us um, from reusing uh, tires from cars to make new walkways. So there's a lot of things we can do. So getting onto the marketing and branding side of things, Michael, you said something very important in the beginning of the conversation. Your, your topic, I agree 100%. As a designer myself, I've just finished four packaging designs for for two brands. One is a German brand um, called Stronger Together, which we've just signed up into an agency. And Corey, this this will put a smile on your face. They were They were shipping because of the container shortage part of our brand messaging was they were actually produce they're producing hoodies and it's a it's a ngo that is donating their money uh, 25% of their money to covid relief for children so children that have lost their parents to covid and need medication and that are suffering from long long covid and who have been devastated by having parents been lost from the disease. So her proceeds were going to that. But when she came to me, she was making the hoodie. It was getting put into a box. The box is then put in, being put into a shipping box. That shipping box has been put into a courier box. And I was like, wow, you can't box, 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 box your product and say you're sustainable. Even though each one of those boxes is recyclable or it comes in recyclable materials because that weight for shipping is going to cause you a lot of headaches when it comes to the costing of your product. 
but it also weighs everything down and it's just wasting material. So her end package is what Amazon would normally give you as your Amazon box. We just use that and we use the dissolvable PLA bag, which in the fashion industry we call a PP bag to package the hoodies in and that package dissolves in lukewarm water and it's made out of corn husk and you can then send it off to your clients. It's just a good example of how we can minimize and mitigate the overusage of packaging. So from a branding point of view and a marketing point of view, it starts all with design. It also starts with what, what can a brand do to better reinforce their sustainable messaging. And that is, Corey, you'll like this one, supply chain and the shipping. So what we've done is we've taken out most of the packaging, but then due to container shortages, and you all know there's a, there's a global shortage on containers and not every country and region can produce packaging. So we've, we've, I've had to flat pack all her packaging. So the boxes are not made up, they're flat packed and we're air freighting them, unfortunately, because there's no other choice for her um, because it has to meet EU compliances. But we flat packaging everything is that we're going to ship the good, the, the packaging already fully folded. So we just re-engineered the way the packaging works and it's flat packed. So she can actually send more over to meet that supply chain backlog because shipping is just out of the question right now at $18,000 just for a container because the container prices are so high. So it, on, from a branding and marketing perspective, it starts from the design of the packaging, how you can mitigate most of the packaging and rather use the actual final uh, Amazon box. You, I, I see Jeff Bezos has just, it's live all over the news right now, has committed $2 billion US dollars to um, help the climate. I think that's a bit of a vague message right now on all the news channels. I'm sure he could give a lot more than $2 billion, considering that he's actually one of the biggest polluters on the planet, his company. You know, it's very quick to just order something quickly on Amazon. I would suggest rather make a once a month trip to go purchase your things. The same with food. If you're going to order, maybe just walk to your McDonald's, ask them to give you your burger in a container that you have with you because a lot of us order from places that are just around the corner. So there's a lot of ways that we can message um, sustainable packaging. There's also a lot of ways we can brand the packaging that we already have. There are a lot of new developments that people are seeing that aren't, that they think is new, but it's actually been around for a long time. For example, Heather, hemp packaging has been around for a long time. PLAs have actually been in use for quite some time already. We've got Ziploc bags, um, Chef, that are uh, completely biodegradable and compostable and can be frozen and reused and, and defrosted and reused. And so something very interesting that um, Chef Mimi mentioned, and the, uh, that's something I would... I would um, give you as a solution you know you're worried about how your food will be at the end consumer well first of all i would 
really ask people not to microwave their food. So um, to better have their food ready, don't microwave it. If you've, most people have got an oven or some kind of grill at home, um, just heat it up without using a microwave because then you are not heating up the food in the packaging. So if you're not sure about the packaging, don't heat it up in the packaging. Put it on a plate and heat it up that way and not in the microwave. So there are ways. It's just educating people. And what we do with our clients in the branding and marketing side, and when we help launch brands, this is what we hit on, is the educational side of it. If you're a, a, a food product that's going to be heated up, how are you heating it up? And at what stage has it been heated up? Who's transporting your food? Um, here in China, um, we use drives cold. It's unbelievable. They use these insulated little electric bike delivery guys and your food arrives hot all the time. So there's no need to heat it up. Whereas I've got family living in Europe and they use Uber Eats and all these other brands. And a lot of the time their food arrives not not at the right temperature because they're just putting it into an air-conditioned taxi or an air-conditioned car and it's getting zipped off in a car that's not electric. And by the way, that's not electric and it's not running on clean energy. Not that all electric cars are clean, by the way, because their source of their energy is what we need to look at as Damon, well. you got us all the way to clean energy cars, and I appreciate it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in real quick because I want to like refocus this a little bit and uh, open up hand-raising. Mimi, if you want to open up hand-raising, and Damon, I appreciate you answering Mimi's question because you're absolutely right. The form and function that we take with the product once it gets to somebody's home is key. I want to give on the brand marketing just a very practical thing for operators to be able to do. Once you start to engage the way that you would if you had somebody in your dining room, the way that you would navigate them through an experience, need you to think about that hospitality all the way into their home. And we are great when we understand the experience that we're trying to create for people. We just don't like the arena as much because we're used to having them in dining rooms or right in front of us at an event or catering because we're there in front of them. The thing that I'm really big on right now is, is QR code is absolutely something that you need to build into your packaging. You need to have it on your bag. If it's a sticker, if it's branded directly into it so that somebody can can have that experience that you deconstruct your food to some degree, understanding the packaging, understanding the need and understanding the journey it's gonna take so that the pho or any dish that Mimi might be making, they understand how to be able to reconstruct it. They hit that QR code. You can have smart QR codes so you can take them to a different video depending on if this is the first time or the fifth time that they've interacted with you. Use that as a branding and communication tool. Show them how to reconstruct your dish. Show them how to engage with it so that it has the best possible outcome for success when it comes into your home. That is a way to brand, market, and ensure that you have the best quality product there. So uh, anybody else, anything else, any practical I, things on brand and marketing? Otherwise, Mimi, if uh, you open up hand raising, please, anybody in the room, any question that you have for, uh, for sustainable packaging, any struggles that you're going through, even if it's as a consumer, any way that restaurants can support the need, the opportunity and responsibility to be able to have a better uh, landscape when it comes to sustainable packaging. Anybody else want to jump in? Jensen, I just want to make one mention here quickly. There's a law passing now in China 
that's all food packaging and clothing packaging the qr code has to there has to be a materials qr code and they're busy implementing it now through government it's been it's in i think it's final stages that when you buy a takeaway or a food product from like your big your they're starting with the big brands like mcdonald's and burger king and kfc and then your clothing brands like uniqlo and h&m that you are able to scan a qr code to tell you what to do with your packaging after you've used it how to which bin to put it in what color code of recycling no, bin does it go to how is it then biodegraded how long does it take and they're even going to have instructions that if you can if you've got composting at your home how do you compost it so that is already in the pipeline and i must tell you China is definitely leading the way when it comes to QR coding. They were the first nation to really, I mean, everything in our lives here is QR coded. Our health codes, our vaccines, we book our air tickets. I haven't had cash for more than five years. We are a cashless society. So that is in the pipelines, and I hope it trickles down through to other nations and to other countries and other regions. So I just wanted to let you know that that is already in discussions here, which is should be really um, motivating for everybody in the room. So this was Damon speaking. Thank you. Yeah, I'm ready for that. You know, even thinking of other cultures real quick on the brand marketing side and the way that you deliver on the experience. I just watched a movie that was framed in, in Europe and went to a coffee shop and put their own plastic mug in front of them and they made their drink into that mug. So COVID times challenging to that, but there are ways to rethink the experience and the responsibility that we have within that experience. All right, I see uh, Kelly and Dr. Bilal up on stage. Uh, doctor, if you want to jump in, any question, context for uh, for this discussion, would love to hear from you. Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for inviting me on the stage. Hi, Chef Mimi. Long time I didn't see you. Thank you. A really amazing topic. I'm working on similar projects, which is the changes and the next generation of food packaging. And as we understand, most of the packagings that we use now heavily in processed food is not sustainable and depends on plastics or glass or the best could be the paper. The only challenge with that, what I see it not feasible for the time, is the type of the food, the materials that you want to package, especially those who have a long shelf life, like a year or, you know, above than 12 months. And this is really a challenging thing. Like, for example, at Nestle now, they're doing their best to change the packaging for coffee. But coffee is a product that really, really uh, not stable. It, it is affected by the water activity. There's something called the glass transition. And those packaging, yes, they are not sustainable. But don't we don't forget that they've been built up for a hundred years is the work of Slade, Ted Labuza, and many great scientists until we reach that stage. So I see it is, is, is a good opportunity that people uh, invest and try to find a solution, long-term solutions. The only issue what I see from my position as a food scientist working in this field, the cost will be higher. The cost will be very high doesn't matter what we do because what we have now 
And why it's been in use for the last 100 years? Because it's the cheapest way to produce packaging. So any changes of that will increase the cost. So that's the only gap I find it because the cost could be increased from 10 to 80%, depends on the type of product. The question here, are we ready for that increase in prices, especially for poor societies? Are they interested more in sustainable packaging or sustaining the life itself? And we already see the inflation. It's really prices going crazy around the world, energy and food. So adding on that 10 to 80% of the current cost. Uh, yes, of course, yeah. we would love Dr. to Dr. Bilal, I, I, think, yeah. I think that's a great question. And, and I'd like to address that. And Heather, I wanted to come to you because I know you got some ideas on this. Uh, yeah, so I guess you want me to stop here. Thank you very much. Yeah, pl please. I, I, I think we got it. I think uh, you added some great value to that. Thank you so much for that. Uh, so what I think is important for us to understand, and I'll talk about the American society. American society does not value food enough. We spend less on a percentage of income than almost any industrialized nation on food. What we do value more than any other nation in the world is stories. We spend more money to consume stories than any other nation in the world. So when I think about the opportunity when it comes to brand marketing, the ability to have that story told through your packaging, I think is a huge opportunity. And that's where the white space is. You're going to see consumer decisions being made more and more on if that place and that place down the street from you have a comparable burger, I am more likely to spend my money, even more of my money, $3 more for the burger that does come in the sustainable packaging, that they do educate and tell me that story, that there is the QR code where I get to see the chef tell me exactly how to plate this dish. So I do think that the unlock, the opportunity, the white space right now is in storytelling in this society today because we value stories. I always think of Rob Walker, New York Magazine, who did the uh, eBay study where they bought a whole bunch of just mundane items, wrote compelling stories about them as a social experiment, resold them for 6,400x their money. That is the opportunity that story creates. Yes, that was a little devious. I want you to be authentic in the stories that you tell. Yet I think that is where Dr. Bilal will be able to see the opportunity for that to happen. Heather, anything else to add to that? Yeah, but sorry, sorry again. This is, I agree, have a segment of the market because you have those extra $3, but not everybody have those extra $3. So my point, and from the data I have, and we're talking about global, we're not talking about certain region. The changes will not be in the favor of poor society. Sustainability is a monster for the poor society. I mean, that's from the data I see. And thank you again for letting me share my knowledge. James, would you mind if I just say something? And I think Heather will dovetail me off this. Dr. Bilal, where are you located? Where, which areas are you talking about? I'm talking globally. We're talking about... Okay, okay. Well, I can give you some insight because Heather and I actually own a sustainable packaging company. And I would say, Heather, 90% of our packaging is actually cheaper than your original plastic packaging. So there's, that's just the myth that I want to bust right now, is that if it's coming into... if it's there's, I've not seen sustainable packaging 80% more expensive. I mean, we do this nearly every single day of our lives. So it's about your source. You've got to find the right source. And if someone is charging you 80% more 
for your packaging because it's sustainable, then they, they're ripping you off. I'm sorry, I'm just being straightforward and blunt. There is There are a lot of sustainable packaging people out there. I see Michael flashing his mic, Heather flashing her mic. Corey, I think you've also come across this. Mycelium fiber packaging is super inexpensive compared to what everyone thought it would be. That is a complete myth that it is 80, 90, or even 30% more expensive. Heather, I think you and I actually found a variant of between 5 to 15% maximum on some products, some. And that was just because they were new entries into the packaging realm. But when it comes to mass-produced packaging, like burger boxes, plates, cutlery, disposable cutlery, the prices are cheaper because they're incentivized by the government to make them cheaper. And the EU has got incentives to bring in sustainable packaging. So they get tax deductions. So it's a win-win loop for everybody to use sustainable packaging. There are tax der derivatives that can be, that you can use and tax deductions. And the fact that you can then say your product is sustainable through the EU and through um, your American and uh, South American and African, because we deal a lot with South Africa and they export into Africa. And my family's got a trucking company. It's actually one of the largest in the world that truck packaging through into Africa, right up to Egypt. And I can tell you now, if people are charging you more for your packaging, then look for someone else. And you can always look at, you can hook up with us and DM us afterwards. It should not be so absorbent like I'm hearing from you now. It's absolutely impossible. And during this time where there's a shortage of containers, I can understand that things have gone up and I see it all the time. But as a whole, and just speaking generally in the industry, that myth has been busted quite a while ago when Dior and Chanel have started using um, mycelium fiber leather to replace cow leather because it's much cheaper and it's kinder to the environment. So even the big luxury brands are jumping on board. So my friend, just, just look at the source. Heather, I'll let you dovetail of this. Yeah, it's just I got, I got, I yeah let's let's put a pin in this. Dr. Bilal, Damon, I appreciate yeah, everything that you're bringing to the conversation. Yeah, I do want to really focus this on, on the audiences that we've been talking about, focusing on kind of those restaurant brands, focusing on those events and caterings. Keep it, keep it small. We've gotten very macro. I want to keep it very focused and practical for those that we're trying to affect in the hospitality industry kind of as a whole. So Heather, I want to have you jump in. Then Kelly, I want to do want to open up the time for you to ask a question. Michael, I want to make sure that we hear from you because we haven't heard from you in a moment. Uh, and then I do want to be respectful of everybody's time. We're at an hour and 15. That's typically as long as we like to let these run. I think this is a great conversation. So I do want to let it just spill over a little bit, but do want to be respectful of everyone's time. So we will wrap this in the next 10 minutes. But Heather, anything to add just generally or specifically on kind of uh, what we've been talking about over the last few minutes uh, before we let Kelly ask another question. Listen, there's been a whole lot of information, but listen, the, the one thing I would say, the true source of sustainability is to be local, right? To, to encourage um, the localization of 
fruits and vegetables and farmers and chefs, right? We got to inspire those and, and to really be truly sustainable. That's where it comes from, you know, is, is really diving into the communities to allow them to be able to self-sustain for themselves, which I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of that. So um, I, I want to start off with that. You were early, Chef Jensen, you were so right um, that, you know, facts tell and stories sell. I mean, I, I learned that very early on in my career and, and it's, it's been a big driver, you know, and um, I will tell you that there are options out there. And as event curators, which I'm an event curator myself, um, I, I've got, I'm going to do an event right now at Art Basel in, in, in uh, Miami. And everything that I do, I think about is, A, first, can I source it locally and support small businesses? Because who we are as a society, we have to support small businesses. So if we have, if we're supporting local chefs, we're supporting local, local package suppliers, local farmers. I mean, we really have got to take that into consideration as restaurants, as entrepreneurs, um, and as event curators. Um, I would always say that that would be my biggest way to go into any kind of market is let's always think local first before we do anything. And then if we can't find that within ourselves let's either a inspire entrepreneurs to go out and 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 give them a, a, a an opportunity to be a business owner um and then let's make them then we can go outside of our outside of our realm right so my focus on sustainability is localization as much as possible and supporting small businesses that is really where the backbone of our world um truly meets sustainability so i i hope that was it for you um chef jensen i didn't i didn't want to go over too long i know we have more people up here i'm very grateful to be here and um any other questions please feel free to ask me. This is Heather and I'm done speaking. Heather, thank you so much for that. That's really, I know, going to resonate with so much of the audience that I'm mentioning is like they feel like they're underwater. They don't have the support. They don't have the money, the infrastructure to be able to create the opportunities that they need. They're just in that survival mode. So being able to have that shining light that says there is possibility, there is a chance for responsible decisions to be the right business decision both from a cash flow standpoint and from that storytelling. So I really appreciate that. Uh, Kelly, uh, please want to have you jump up and ask questions. And we are going to be ending. So Linda, Troy, Tom, I, I do apologize uh, for not getting you up here. Troy, we always get you up on stage and, and have you on these panels because you're a wealth of knowledge. Linda, Tom, please message me directly. And I want to get you on a panel because looking at your profiles, you need to have a panel of your own. So please uh, message me because apologies for for timing. Uh, but Kelly, please jump in. And then Michael, Corey, love to hear from you uh, if we can get uh, Kelly some, some follow-up information. Kelly? Yes. Hello, everyone. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. I will be as brief as possible. Um, I do come from a cannabis and hemp activist background. Um, however, that being said, branding is also my jam. And it, I went into rooms. So there's a question um, that I have is when I started going into, and some people on here, Corey can attest to it, Tom, I, I brought up the word recycling within the cannabis. I'm like, why has no one said this word? And I got into it basically a tit for tat about the word. And it was exactly that business owners were like, no, recycling doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I was so uh, just frustrated because I was like, but we have the triangle. And after I got out of the room, I'm like, 
reduce, reuse, recycle, reduce, reuse, recycle. And I said to the gentleman, and I, I know him, and I said, look, I think we're just using semantics. It's just a difference in semantics. But if we're in the same space and we're having a discussion about semantics, then do we need to then make the triangle a circle and rebrand the message altogether and have it more of the repurposed and a, a circular economy? I mean, is is that what it's going to take? Because it's not working and we've got to do something. And I feel that it does go back also to the luxury brands. If people, you know, if they demand it and, you know, it's something that is driven by customer demand, I, I agree with the gentleman that was speaking before me that, no, it's not driven, you know, by the poverty. It is driven by people with money, but people that have morals, ethics, values, and capital. And that's really where, you know, people such as everyone up here, you know, you're here for sustainability and it's about doing something, you know, right. One last thing in terms of packaging and coming from hospitality industry, there's a huge carryover between hospitality industry and cannabis that is coming up. Um, so I just wanted to make that note, but thank you so much for your time. But my question is, do we need to rebrand? Do we need to make it a circle instead of a triangle? Kelly, thank you for that. And Michael, I do want to come to you on this. And uh, uh, we need to talk more because we are launching a campaign in in uh, January uh, called Culinary Cannabis, where we're going to see about bridging some of those gaps. I know Heather will be a part of that. So Kelly, uh, message me. We probably got to talk about that. Michael, I, I, right away when, we were, when Kelly was speaking, I was thinking about utilizing your products at events, big events. And the, uh, the We Don't Waste team was there. It was really helping us understand where all of the different packaging waste products needed to go. And I could just see pe- the light bulbs and people understanding like, I didn't realize that everything on my plate and my plate included was compostable. So, so I'm interested in that. Is there opportunity? Is there education? Is there a need for a rebrand? I know you, your brand's really focused on, on this as a whole. Yeah, I mean, look, one, one, of, the, one of the great things about Veritera is that we've been focused since day one on design and sustainability. And frankly, re- recycling is one of these things that just drives me a little bit crazy because everybody got excited about recycling and people forget that one, that chasing arrow symbol was created by the American, the American can company as part of a reason to keep cans and bottles in circulation. Um, it, it's, it's a public good that people misunderstand as either the product is made from recycled product or can be recycled. Nobody really knows. It's very amorphous. There's not a lot of definition around it. Feel free to fact check that one. Um, you know, the whole, the whole concept is reduce, i.e. buy less stuff, use less stuff, use the stuff you have is number two and recycle the things that you can't do anything else with. And people forget that it's not recycle, recycle, recycle. It's use less stuff, use the stuff you have, then recycle the things that you can't do the, the first two with. And, and it's really important. And what, excites me about compostability is exactly what you hit on. It's you can take your food, you can take your plate, you can put it in one bin. It can be composted. It can become amendment. And people, people forget this and people don't realize this, that when you're composting, you can't just take a whole lot of food scrap and throw it in a bin because as food breaks down, 
your, your greens. You need ratios of greens to browns. And your plate, whatever it might be, be it paper, be it sugarcane, be it palm, be it whatever, uh, be, be it wheat, be it hemp, whatever, is, is a brown. And there's very few browns in the food world, except for breads and eggshells. There's a lot of greens. So if you don't have the right ratios, your, your, your amendment cooks too fast. The biggest costs in composting are the fact that people have to buy wood chips, have to buy baking soda, have to buy other things to slow down the, the quote-unquote cooking process. So it, it's just important to understand how the systems work in, in total before people just make decisions, right? So, so there, there are a lot of options out there for good compostable materials, but frankly, the simplicity of a compostable plate with your food makes the entire system work better, faster, and cheaper than just scraping a bunch of food into a bin and letting someone else figure it out. Yeah, Michael, thank you for that. And, and thank you for the, a little bit of that history lesson. Now I'm going to look up the, the origins of that logo. And Kelly, thanks for taking us down that, uh, that rabbit hole. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Corey, maybe a last word from you. I do want to like wrap this up again, be respectful of anybody's time. Uh, any, anything to add? You get to put a bow in this for being a, a patient over the last uh, 15 minutes or so. Thank you all. Lots of amazing uh, contributions here. I would like to say recycling is increasing in, um, in possibility and availability. Um, I just interviewed the CEO of a company called Recyclops. They're an independent recycling company that will come to your house and pick up your recycling for you. And uh, there are companies like that that will um, change the world, I think. It's going to make a huge impact. And uh, we'll see that be to just more and more available in the world, I think. Recycling is its not the answer, but it's a huge component of the problem its uh, or the solution, I should say. Thank you. Corey, thanks for that. All right, we're going to uh, just take a couple moments, wind this down, get you a couple of little tidbits uh, of information before you go. Again, if you're on the recording, go get over to Clubhouse. Make sure you get to be a part of these conversations. But uh, Lauren, wanted to come back uh, to you. And uh, the foundation, again, to partner with you all has been amazing. And I think we have a lot, a lot of work to do. Clearly, we learned a lot today and there's so much more to do. But hopefully a few practical steps for so many of the people in our networks. Uh, anything else that's happening? Any way that we can connect with the, uh, the James Beer Foundation's approach uh, to sustainability? Anything else we can uh, latch onto to be able to learn and, uh, and continue to develop our stewardship of uh, community through sustainability? Yeah, absolutely. And this has just been such an honor to sit on and listen to, but I'm um, kind of over the next year and it sounds like kind of everyone's doing the same as we're working through focus groups and input from broader groups of those in the industry and the foundation's just continuing to refine how we define sustainability. And that's kind of what we're all doing here and how we integrate it organically through all of our programming events and educational programs as a whole. Um, and so if you want to learn more about the James Beard Foundation and kind of what we're up to and the programs we're doing and implementing our, all of this in sustainability and restaurants locally, just check us out at jamesbeard.org backslash sustainability. Um, and I just wanted to take a moment to thank everyone for joining. This was such an amazing discussion. And I'm, it's just so great to talk with an awesome group of people. Thank you all. Thank you. All right. I want to I wanna end as, as I kind of like to begin with just that quote that really just helps me define the goal, the vision that we have for this. And again, William James says, act 
as if what you are doing makes a difference. It does. And I truly believe that we very much embody that today with all of the discussion, all the information, all of the education that, that you all brought to that, to the conversation today, but also the, the work that you're doing at large. So please, this conversation does not end here. I absolutely know that now made, uh, made a few more compatriots in this vision that we have and the goal that we have to be better stewards uh, in the hospitality and food industry. So to Heather, Damon, Michael, Lauren, Mimi, Corey, uh, Dr. Bilal, Kelly, and everybody else who contributed by being a part of this. And I know that you heard one thing, one new element that can take you and put you on a trajectory to change the future of our industry. I truly believe that and uh, would be honored and excited to hear about that as it comes about. Please do, again, check out the Best Served podcast recording of this, where there will be links to resources, as well as making sure that you can follow these great speakers and the work that they do. I'm sure we'll link up uh, their Instagram pages, and you can kind of go down those rabbit holes with them. As, again, the work that they're doing is, is truly changing the world. So thank you again, Damon, Michael, Heather, Mimi, Lauren, Corey, and uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and end this room. So, uh, you know, moderators and speakers, thank you so much for your time and the work that you do. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.